Hello everyone, thank you for joining me today. You are listening to Throne Room Encounters. My name is Ashley Kachwa. In the last few months, I've been praying about a way to tell about all God has done for me and my own personal Throne Room Encounters. An encounter is to meet unexpectedly a chance meeting. This is exactly what a Throne Room Encounter is, that moment when God steps into the room and the atmosphere changes. Join me each week as I talk about miracles, healing, answered prayers, promises from God, and so much more. Hi everyone, hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I ate way too much, laugh out loud. Um, and if, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I got a new microphone to try to help with some of the background noise. And it's not perfect. You may hear a dog bark in the background occasionally, but a lot of the extra stuff is not there. So uh, hopefully it'll kind of enhance my podcast some. The first one I got was not the right kind, so I had to send it back and get another one. And I'm using it now, and I really like it so far. Um, my sister, niece, and I went Black Friday shopping. Not the go at midnight, the night before kind. We went around 8.30 that morning. We decided to give the crazies a chance to get out of the way. By lunchtime, though, town was crazy. I guess everyone had the same idea. We had a lot of fun still, even with the crowds getting larger. I got almost everything I was looking for. All around, it was a great Thanksgiving weekend. I've been dog-sitting my favorites this week, and today is Saturday. Um, their humans are coming home today. If I could insert an emoji here, it would be the praise hands. I think Harley is missing his daddy. I don't know if I've ever mentioned, but he is a black lab, so he's a large dog, and he doesn't realize that he is so large. Their other dog, Max, is a small house dog. Not a miniature, but a small breed, and he thinks that he is Max's size. And y'all may think that's funny, and that maybe I'm wrong, but no, I'm definitely right. He tries to sit in my lap and everything. I have many different funny stories of adventures with Harley. He can be a handful, but I love him dearly. He is my baby, him and Max both. I could probably write a book, though, on the adventures of Harley and Max, and it would sell like hotcakes, but anyway, that's for a whole nother time. Today, I'm going to talk about some things that are going to be a little bit difficult for me, but all week I felt like this is the direction God is taking me. So here we go. In December of 1981, Reader's Digest put a little quote in it by E. Stanley Jones, and I thought it was very fitting for today's topic. It says a rattlesnake, if cornered, will sometimes become so angry it will bite itself. That is exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is, a biting of oneself. We think that we are harming others and holding these spites and hates, but the deeper harm is to ourselves. Sometimes we don't even realize that we are still holding a grudge against someone until you see them after years of no contact and immediately you get agitated and defensive around them. And sometimes, sometimes things just rise up inside you every time they're around and you don't even realize you just keep fighting yourself over and over again, injecting the poison into your body over and over again. 
The harm you're causing is only to yourself. They don't even realize that you feel that way. And they have moved on with life and forgotten all about you. You may be wondering how I know this. This was me until about six months ago. I think I even talked about it in another podcast. But I didn't give any background story to it. You see, for years, every time they would come around, I would run the other way. I didn't want to see them or speak to them. They hurt me, and I thought I was hurting them too by avoiding them. Every time something happened in their life, I would think they deserve it, not even realizing I was injecting the venom with every biting remark into myself. About six months ago, maybe a little less, I was walking back and forth across the front of front of our church and the Lord impressed upon me such a deep conviction over one of these people and I began to weep and cry for them. I remember laying on the floor for a long time travailing and weeping over this person not even realizing I was releasing the bitterness hurt and just stuff from this relationship. When it was over I felt like I had grown a couple of inches and then a couple of weeks later I was on Facebook, which I never get on Facebook, Just or just happened to that day. And, um, and another person involved in the same situation as the other one posted something about having a tumor removed and test run on it. And normally I would have had that same attitude like before. Well, they deserve what happens to them because they hurt me. But this time I just felt sorry for them, and I caught myself saying a prayer for them. And I remember freezing in, spl- in place. I was getting ready to go into church to pray. And I was like, Ashley, did you just say a prayer for them? And I immediately got tears in my eyes and felt such a sweet presence sweep over me. In that moment, I felt free. For so many years, I didn't even realize that the poison I was injecting into myself was hindering me from reaching the full potential of what God wanted me to do. I allowed past hurts to control me and dictate my every move. I became a pawn to bitterness. I allowed it to change me and shape me into this person I didn't want to be. When all along, God was handling the situation. Both of these people are away from God today. Their lives have been a mess and still are. When I looked at them before, all I could see was the hurt they caused me. But now when I think about them, I realize they are so a lost soul in need of a savior. And I wonder if I'm the one person that can reach them. One of them, I really feel like I could. The other, I'm not so sure. Um, but I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to continue to pray for them. And, and do everything I can to try to do whatever it is God wants me to do to bring them back. And that's, that's not easy to say about one of them especially. But I just, I have such a different attitude towards them and people in general. And that all stems from, from allowing God to control the situation. I think what started this journey of forgiveness and grieving for me, because I definitely was going through the stages of grief, I just got stuck on the angry one. But what started this journey was during my personal prayer time, I began asking God to purify my heart, to cleanse me from within, and to make me more like Him. 
I didn't even realize through this purging stage, that's exactly what God was doing. He was answering my prayer. You can't be like-minded with Christ and carry bitterness or carnality in your heart. And carnality is a whole different can of worms we will probably talk about in another episode. But back to bitterness. The word itself means lack of sweetness, sharpness of taste, or anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly, resentment. If you get around someone who carries bitterness and resentment in their hearts, you can eventually see it. They don't have a sweet nature about them. They seem harsh sometimes, and most of the time, they can become agitated at the simplest things. The side effects of venom are irritability, blurred vision, anxiety, trouble breathing, pain, and much more. And the side effects can last for days. When you are bitter at someone, you experience all of these and more. I learned that by allowing bitterness to control me. I suffered from depression, anxiety, fear, loneliness. You're probably wondering why loneliness is on this list, but yes, it causes loneliness. How, you ask? If you are carrying bitterness, it can affect any relationship you are having or trying to have. You can't be yourself with someone if you are allowing your past to control you still. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I learned this passage probably in high school, maybe junior high, but I never really read what it was saying. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 says, To follow after Christ as dear children, to walk in love even as Christ has. And that part about to follow after Christ as dear children, children have such a, they're not necessarily gullible, but they're so innocent. They're so sweet-natured, and they, they tr- they're trusting. And not that you need to be trusting of everybody, but you need to have that same sweet nature that a child has. The other part of it is to walk in love even as Christ has. You can't be like Christ if you don't have love for others, even those that hurt you. Harshness, hatred, arguing. These are all side effects of bitterness. You can learn the word of God and read it daily. But if you don't apply it to your life, it's no good. It's pointless. I've read the Bible through completely a few times, but I'm not even sure how many times really. But it was just me trying to see how fast I could read it. I wasn't really reading it and applying it to my daily life. My prayer lately has been, God help me to understand your word and to apply it daily to my life. To use your word as a guide throughout my life. You may think that's a little bit too much, but not really. When you allow God's word to live inside of you, not just exist in your memory because you memorized it, but to truly live inside you, there is no room for bitterness, hate, anxiety, fear, depression, or anything else not of God. Psalms 119 and 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you go back to verse 10, It says, with my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Sin can't exist with God involved. If you could picture the word of God as a road map and your heart as the atlas, not one part of the map is left unused. The whole thing has markings and cities listed, countries, states, or counties. 
mountain ranges, rivers, lakes, forestry. It's all marked on the pages of an atlas. They have little trees to mark for the forest and fish to mark fishing towns, milk jugs or cows to mark dairy farms or beef farms. They use little logs for logging towns. The ocean's surrounding countries are colored in shades of blue and the land masses in shades of green or brown. There are few main types of atlases, the general reference atlas, regional and national atlas, and the thematic atlas. The general reference atlas portrays a specific area rather than the entire earth. The regional atlas portrays a region, province, or state rather than a country. A national atlas is a special type of regional atlas. It is a more complex regional atlas, and the thematic atlas is one selected theme the thing I like most about the thematic atlas is the number of themes can be almost unlimited. They can range from geology, climatology, demography, land use, planning, and more. The thematic atlas is probably going to be the most familiar one because it is a school atlas. And now you all know my crazy love for maps. Insert emoji, embarrassed one. No, all kidding aside, picture this in your mind, and there isn't room to put anything else in the atlas. The pages are full. When we allow the Word of God to become markings on our heart and mind, it will push everything negative out, leaving you only with positive and peaceful contentment. What prompted me to begin praying for these people in my life was a scripture found in Philippians 1 and verse 3. And it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I remember reading this scripture and immediately thinking about them and the hurt they caused in my life. And I realized I could thank God for the hurt because it made me stronger. And I remember one of the first times I read it. I mean, obviously I'd read it before many times, but just never thought about it. But I remember one time I read it and God brought them to my mind. And I was almost angry because I thought, I'm not, I mean, I'm not thankful for remembrance of them and what they did to me. But I got to that point. And you can't have resentment and bitterness towards somebody and be saved. And that may seem harsh, but you have to think about it that way. You have to realize, what in the world are you living this lifestyle for, doing this journey, doing everything you're doing to get to heaven, but then you're going to carry resentment and bitterness for someone? You're defeating the purpose. It's pointless. There's no point in you doing all that if you're going to have a wrong attitude against somebody. So I had to learn to be thankful for those that had hurt me. And um, a, one story that, you know, I started studying and I just, it just really spoke to me. And I think we're all familiar with it. It's the story of Ruth and Naomi. And if you read this, everybody always puts emphasis on Ruth. And yes, it is the story of Ruth, but if you study Naomi, Naomi was dealt a very hard life, but she stayed strong even when the situation looked hopeless. And if you look up the name Naomi and what it means, it's pleasant and gentle. And one thing that struck me is uh, if you read in the book of Ruth chapter one, when Naomi went back home, everyone knew her by name. And they were, you know, but if, if you read the passage, they ask, is this Naomi? And I wonder if the pleasant and gentle Naomi that had left them was not the same one who came back. And I mean, it tells you there in the Bible that it, she wasn't 
because it says she told them to call her Naomi no more, to call her Mara, because the Lord had dealt very bitterly with her. And if you look up the Hebrew meaning of Mara, it is bitter, which carries the implication strength. Even during her bitter season, she still showed strength. And one thing that I thought was really unique, if you look up the Greek meaning of Mara, it, is, it means eternally beautiful. From the bitterness came strength and eternal beauty. And if you, if you read Naomi's story and you read the end of Ruth and Naomi's story, Naomi's strength led her back to Bethlehem where Ruth met Boaz. And from that joining came David, Solomon, and eventually the Savior of the world. You see, when you fulfill God's will and you allow him to design the atlas, great things can be born into your life. So my question for you today is, will you be Mara or Naomi? I hope you have a blessed week and a happy Monday. And I'm going to end with just a little story that I found and I thought it was very fitting for, um, for the podcast today. Hopefully there's not too many dog barks in the background. Little House on the Freeway, page 56 through 61 by Tim Kimmel. Shortly after the turn of the century, Japan invaded, conquered, and occupied Korea. Of all their oppressors, Japan was the most ruthless. They overwhelmed the Koreans with a brutality that would sicken the strongest of stomachs. Their crimes against women and children were inhuman. Many Koreans live today with the physical and emotional scars from the Japanese occupation. One group singled out for concentrated oppression was the Christians. When the Japanese army overpowered Korea, one of the first things they did was board up the evangelical churches and eject most foreign missionaries. It has always fascinated me how people fail to learn from history. Conquering nations have consistently felt that shutting up churches would shut down Christianity. It didn't work in Rome when the church was established, and it hasn't worked since. Yet somehow the Japanese thought they would have a different success record. The conquerors started by refusing to allow churches to meet and jailing many of the key Christian spokesmen. The oppression intensified as the Japanese military increased its profile in the South Pacific. The land of the rising sun spread its influence through a reign of savage brutality. Anguish filled the hearts of the oppressed and kindled hatred deep in their souls. One pastor persistently entreated his local Japanese police chief for permission to meet for services. His nagging was finally accommodated, and the police chief offered to unlock his church for one meeting. It didn't take long for word to travel. Committed Christians starving for an opportunity for unhindered worship quickly made their plans. Long before dawn on that promised Sunday, Korean families throughout a wide area made their way to the church. They passed the staring eyes of their Japanese captures, but nothing was going to steal their joy. As they closed the doors behind them, they shut out the cares of oppression and shut in a burning spirit anxious to glorify their Lord. The Korean church has always had a reputation as a singing church. Their voices of praise could not be concealed inside the little wooden frame sanctuary. Song after song rang through the open windows into the bright Sunday morning. For a handful of peasants listening nearby, the last two songs this congregation, congregation sang seemed suspended in time. 
It was during a stanza of Nearer My God to Thee that the Japanese police chief waiting outside gave the orders. The people toward the back of the church could hear them when they barricaded the doors, but no one realized that they had doused the church with kerosene until they smelled the smoke. The dried wooden skin of the small church quickly ignited. Fumes filled the structure as tongues of flame began to lick the baseboard on the interior walls. There was an immediate rush for the windows, but momentary hope recoiled in horror as the men climbing out the windows came crashing back in, their bodies ripped by a hail of bullets. The good pastor knew it was the end. With a calm that comes from confidence, he led his congregation in a hymn whose words served as a fitting farewell to earth and a loving salutation to heaven. The first few words were all the prompting the terrified worshipers needed. With smoke burning their eyes, they instantly joined as one to sing their hope and leave their legacy. Their song became a serenade to the horrified and helpless witnesses outside. Their words also tugged at the hearts of the cruel men who oversaw this flaming execution of the innocent. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Just before the roof collapsed, they sang the last verse, but their words, their words an eternal testimony to their faith. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The strains of music and wails of children were lost in a roar of flames. The elements that once formed bone and flesh mixed with the smoke and dissipated into the air. The bodies that once housed life fused with the charred rubble of a building that once housed a church. But the souls who left singing finished their chorus in the throne room of God. Clearing the incinerated remains was the easy part. Erasing the hate would take decades. For some of the relatives of the victims, this carnage was too much. Evil had stooped to a new low, and there seemed to be no way to curb their bitter loathing of the Japanese. In the decades that followed, that bitterness was passed on to a new generation. The Japanese, although conquered, remained a hated enemy. The monument the Koreans built at the location of the fire not only memorialized the people who died, but stood as a mute reminder of their pain. Inner rest? How could rest coexist with a bitterness deep as marrow in the bones? Suffering, of course, is a part of life. People hurt people. Almost all of us have experienced it at some time. Maybe you felt it when you came home to find that your spouse had abandoned you, or when your integrity was destroyed by a series of well-timed lies, or when your company was bled dry to a partner. It kills you inside. Bitterness clamps down on your soul like iron shackles. The Korean people who found it too hard to forgive could not enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. Hatred choked their joy. It wasn't until 1972 that any hope came. A group of Japanese pastors traveling through Korea came upon the memorial. When they read the details of the tragedy and the names of the spiritual brothers and sisters who had perished, they were overcome with shame. Their country had sinned, and even though none of them were personally involved, some were not even born at the time of the tragedy, they still felt a national guilt that could not be excused. They returned to Japan, committed to right or wrong. There was an immediate outpouring of love from their fellow believers. They raised 10 million yen, $25,000. 
The money was transferred through paper channels, through proper channels, and a beautiful white church building was erected on the site of the tragedy. When the dedication service for the new building was held, a delegation from Japan joined their relatives and special guests. Although their generosity was acknowledged and their attempts at making peace appreciated, the memories were still there. Hatred preserves pain. It keeps the wounds open and hurts the flesh. The Koreans' bitterness had festered for decades. Christian brothers or not, these Japanese were descendants of a ruthless enemy. The speeches were made, the details of the tragedy recalled, and the names of the dead honored. It was time to bring the service to a close. Someone in charge of the agenda thought it would be appropriate to conclude with the same two songs that were sung the day the church was burned. The song leader began to began the words to Nearer My God to Thee, but something remarkable happened as the voices mingled on the familiar melody. As the memories of the past mixed with the truth of the song, resistance started to melt. The inspiration that gave hope to a doomed collection of churchgoers in a past generation gave hope once more. The song leader closed the service with the hymn at the cross. The normally stoic Japanese could not contain themselves. The tears that began to fill their eyes during the song suddenly gushed from deep inside. They turned to their Korean spiritual relatives and begged them to forgive. The guarded, calloused hearts of the Koreans were not quick to surrender, but the love of the Japanese believers, intimidated by decades of hatred, tore at the Koreans' emotions. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. One Korean turned toward a Japanese brother, then another, and then the floodgates holding back a wave of emotion let go. The Koreans met their new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other and wept. Japanese tears of repentance and Korean tears of forgiveness intermingled to bathe the sight of an old nightmare. Heaven had sent the gift of reconciliation to a little white church in Korea. Music